0: Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell podcast. I know this is normally our intro music. It's not it's not going to suffice for today's show though. That's more like it. If you know anything about me, you know that my favorite television show over the last now more than 20 years has been Survivor and it still is. Uh, I, I love the gameplay, I love the physical challenges, as well as the mental challenges, the outwe- outlast, uh, outplay aspect of it. The pandemic wiped out a year of Survivor, so last night, as I taped this on Thursday, but Wednesday night was the season premiere, a two-hour season premiere, and instead of 39 days, I believe it's, what, 26 days, 27 days, they're quickening up the pace. They voted out two players last night. If you haven't seen it yet, if you're a Survivor fan, I'll let you catch up and you can find out for yourself who they voted out. I will say this, that, and this isn't just last night, and this seemingly goes back all 41 seasons, but when they vote out the first player or the first two players, in this case, Because they were only on the island for a couple of days, there's really nothing to base your vote on other than if you screwed up the challenge. That is the most specious way of deciding who is going to continue and who is not going to continue in this game, in my opinion. The persons who were voted out last night In my opinion, I think both tribes screwed up because early on, you need physical players in order to give yourself a better opportunity in these challenges. And I just think that both tribes completely peed down their leg with this first vote. Because again, you're not basing it off of anything other than, well, somebody screwed up a a puzzle. What a stupid way to decide who's going to be voted off the island and who's not going to be voted off the island. That having been said, almost exactly four years ago, I was doing a story when I was working at WTMJ Radio about some of, not only the Survivor players, but about some of the reality stars from the Milwaukee area and from Wisconsin. Now, in Season 1 of Survivor, there were a couple of them, or what turned out to be a couple of them. Susan Hawk, who was originally from, well, Waukesha County, Uh, I've also seen Palmyra, but whatever. It was southeastern Wisconsin, somewhere in there. Whether it was Waukesha County, whether it was Jefferson County, doesn't matter. Sue Hawk, who made the famous speech. I plead to the jury tonight to think a little bit about the island that we have been on. This island is pretty much full of only two things, snakes and rats. And in the end of Mother Nature, we have Richard the Snake who knowingly went after prey, and Kelly, who turned into the rat that ran around like the rats do on this island, trying to run from the snake. I feel we owe it to the island's spirits that we have learned to come to know, to let it be in the end the way Mother Nature intended it to be, for the snake to eat the rat. She was one of the first Wisconsinites ever on Reality television. Remember, reality television hasn't been around that long, and there have been some that have been on MTV's The Real World, some that have been on Road Rules, and we've got a pretty good, I guess, contingent here in Wisconsin of folks that have been on not only Survivor, but uh, on The Amazing Race as well, Allison Dudek from Hale's Corners, the uh, Olympic a bronze medalist. She was on The Amazing Race, for example. And I've gotten to know a couple of these former reality TV, I wouldn't call them stars, but some of them became stars. But I've gotten to know, for example, Andrea Belke, who's been on Survivor three times and has gone on to a career and a pretty damn good career as a television host. I got to know Erin Lobdell. She's now known as Erin Moss, but she was originally from Waukesha. She played Survivor Token Sheens, and she was one of the finalists. She was in the, uh, the final round. And, you know, she's now married with four boys living in Michigan and doing great things uh, professionally as well as personally. So I've got to know her a little bit, although I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years. But I was doing this story, and one of the players from Survivor's first season lives in our area. And he didn't live in our area at the time, but he's originally from Wisconsin. His name is Joel Klug. Now, he's listed as being from Sherwood, Arkansas, but again, from Wisconsin. And he's been living in the Brookfield area for the last several years. And so when I was reaching out to him to do an interview for this story, it turns out we had some mutual friends. So I used them as kind of intermediaries. And then Joel invited me over to his house, and we sat down in his backyard, one of the original survivors from the first season from Borneo, when nobody knew how this game was going to be played, and it was the biggest sensation on television in a decade. Now, it's still going strong two decades later, but it all began with Richard Hatch and Rudy and Kelly Wigglesworth and Sue Hawk, who I mentioned, Jervis Peterson, Jenna Lewis, And one of their castmates was voted out sixth from the Pagong tribe. I had a chance four years ago, and I'm bringing it back here on the podcast to talk to now Waukesha County's Joel Klug. All right. Well, Joel, here we are sitting in your backyard uh, (laughs) in Brookfield. Now, for Survivor fans, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the term OG. Yeah, uh, you, you are definitely a, a, an OG. You're one of the original members of, of the first Survivor cast. But that was the one where everybody watched it because it was such a novelty.
1: Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, before the first episode it aired, and this is 2000, um, it, the stance of the media, the stance of everybody at the time was it was a stunt. It was a stupid idea. There wasn't any interviews that we had done with mainstream you know, New York Times or anybody like that that was kind. Um, so at that time, it was just supposed to be kind of a fluke. And it was in response to, I don't know if you remember the show, Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire? Mm-hmm. With Darva Conger. And because of the success of that in the previous summer, Les Moonves had taken over CBS and said, I want my Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire? And Mark Burnett, the British guy who now Runs everything in Hollywood. At the time, was just a guy trying to make it, and he pitched a show to every single network. For three years, got shut down by everybody. Les Moonves called him in, gave him a shot, and it was just supposed to be our season. It was going to be a one-time thing, but then it was so successful. It was a it was a novelty, freakish thing. The world was different, pre nine eleven. It wasn't as serious. There really wasn't anything like this before. Um, because it was fought against by the establishment in Hollywood of the Writers Guild and that type of thing. But it's hard to believe it's been 17 years. When you were doing it, I mean, again, it had never aired before. Right.
0: What did? How many people did you think were going to watch it? Did you realize that it was going to be, forget, you know, 30 to 5 million fans
1: watching it every week. Forget sure. that for a second. Did right. you think that there was going to be any kind of audience for it? I going through the process of even applying for it which was 1999 and a friend of mine says hey you know send in a tape they're doing of Nick Vanderblumen from Kellnersville Wisconsin and at this time I was in Dallas traveling all over and he's like hey they're going to do this thing so fine we go through this long casting process which was crazy and they pick us and then we get to Malaysia and everything was in disarray not just the show not we had no idea what we were doing We didn't even, couldn't really visualize properly what it was going to even look like when it hit the television. But the crew didn't know what they were doing. They had a bunch of National Geographic guys, a bunch of film guys, all these different groups. Now there's reality television people. But at that time, you had to pull guys out of the jungle or guys out of Hollywood. And the crew was disgruntled. It was a very challenging operation. It almost fell apart a couple times. Um, But somehow Mark Burnett and a guy named Craig Pellegian, who went on to do Deadliest Catch and American Chopper, um, held it together and then finally the show's about to air and literally a week before I believe the show was going to air Mark Burnett cut the whole thing apart and redid it all himself literally by himself in an editing studio did it and it aired and we went from nobody knew us at all to the next night the New York Giants calling Jervis and I and saying hey we're having a party in New York City you guys want to come the next night and it, nobody was prepared CBS. Everybody can say what they want about how prepared they were, but nobody was expecting anything like this. Um, and boy, was it successful. And it was overnight change, um, from a guy, you know, from Wisconsin hanging out, um, to walking down the street and us not being able to walk down the street. It was, it was, uh, with, with that many people, but it was, you could, it, you know, you can't recreate an anomaly and that's what it was. Um, it was a special time. The instant fame. You kind of talked
0: about it not being able to walk down the street.
1: hmm
0: I mean, I know you didn't expect that, but how, how crazy did it get? What was the craziest thing that oh, happened? God.
1: I can't tell you on air. <laughs> I can't even say. I couldn't even tell you the top ten things on this family radio station, the things that would go on um, from weird stalking things Um almost to the point now where I don't ever want to go back to that point. I would never want to go back to a point where I'm sitting at a restaurant and, and just strangers come up and, and not only come up or listen in, and especially with the age of Internet, you know, that was just coming in where people was like, oh, I saw him here. I saw this. He was with this person. He went here. He looked like a jerk. He's ugly. He's all all the stuff. But there were times when, you know, I was at a, I was at a festival. It was the 4th of July, and one person came up, and then 10 person came up, and then there's 100 people around you, literally 100 people. We've got no security. I'm not an NFL football player. I'm not 300 pounds. And, and it was the boyfriends are getting jealous, that type of thing. That happened, gosh, that kind of stuff would happen all the time. And it's not a lot of good stuff. Free drinks. You get by a, a couple lines. There was travel that came out of it, or they'd have, you know, fly in for things, but... The benefits to, you know, notoriety or fame, um, unless there's a lot of money that goes along with it afterwards, it's just not worth it. Um, I'm sure you've interviewed plenty of athletes and that type of thing where they were just kind of, you know, known. Um, and it, it, the only good thing out of it is the money. But uh, there is, but you know, it was enjoyable. I did enjoy it. <laughs> I, you know, coming from growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin to you know, getting recognized walking on the street in Australia is, is, uh, I mean, literally all over the world where we would go. Um, And then if there was one or two of us together, Jervis and I spent a lot of time, he was a guy that was on the show with us. Um, Dirk, who was a Wisconsin kid, and I spent a lot of time together. When there was a couple of us together, then for sure. Now, if you went to, you know, I don't know if we're going to transition to the difference between then and now. Now, when I run into people, they look at me quick, like they think they know me. Like, did I know you from high school? Like, oh, hey. And then they have a look, and I know what the look is. It's an instant recognition, and then, uh, do I know you? In their head that's going on. And I never correct them. You I know, mean, once a year, somebody will put it together. But I kind of, I'll let it at that. And I never, never once will I say, oh, yeah, I was I was the guy that was on Survivor. That's the worst, <laughs> the worst line. That is the worst line ever. Don't you know who I ever. am? Yeah, yeah, don't you know I'm big, I used to be a big deal? <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, that, that is the worst line ever. But... Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah. So you say about once a year you still get fully, fully recognized. Yeah.
1: You know, I'll be in a restaurant once in a while and then I can tell when like the table next door will figure something out because they'll all look over at the same time or something like that. Um, But fully, fully somebody. But once a year, somebody will walk up. And I think it's because I've got a a big nose or some weird looking kind of a face thing. Um, And but yeah, you know, I'm older now. Gosh, I'm, I'm 45 years old when I did the show. I was 27. Um, so you look like a completely different human being, um, but I'm I'm fine with just how it is, you know. I, I you know what I I have to I work for Nielsen now, so I go to the Nielsen households and I explain to them. And a lot of times they meet me, and it helps because they think that they know me, but they don't actually know who I am. But they think that I that they do. But do you still watch Survivor? You know, I I did not watch. So Chris Doherty is a very good friend of mine. He won like season ten. And I didn't watch from then until Jervis went and back, did it again about five years ago, four years ago. And that's when I started kind of watching again. But for a while, I just kind of got away from it. I thought it was dying. I was told by every, because I worked and I lived in Los Angeles and I worked in production and we'd go in and pitch. And from 2002 on pitching shows, we would hear how the, the public's sick of Survivor. They don't really want to see. Now it's seventeen years later. I thought it was going away, so now it's kind of back, and I've kind of re-embraced it, and I do enjoy it now. Um, Cara, my fiance, had never seen the show, and you know she kind of started watching with me now. So I do I do enjoy it. It's kind of like a sporting event ish, um, you know. It, uh, it's it's office politics as a sport on an island. Uh, pretty much what it is. How much has it changed? Oh gosh, it's unrecognizable. Uh, with us. It, from the first season when it was an experiment to now where it is so formulaic and they know exactly what they're doing, how you're treated even when you're there. Um, it is such a different experience. Um, ours was very organic. Uh, it was raw. And I think that helped uh, because there wasn't TV was super polished, um, you know, after doing the shows and because I've done so many shows after the show and you deal with it, and you realize everything's fake Nothing is like it is. Nothing is a one take situation. Um, But when you also have a show that is grainy and by accident almost had to be forced to be shot on camcorders that you would get out of Best Buy at the time, um, that added to it, added to the voyeuristic nature of the show um, and the look and the feel of the show. Now, boy, they got a budget. They got a massive crew. We had a huge crew as well, you know, hundreds of people, but now they're, they're, when you're off at this time, you're gone with this, you're sequestered. uh, You can't say this, the crew is off. We would talk with the crew. We would hang out with the crew that caused problems, caused all sorts of problems. Um, Especially when you're talking about a group of people like we were, which were extreme A type personalities that you're, you're really not going to tell them what to do in any way. Um, And We also didn't, we also were not able to appreciate at the time what all these cameras around us were. Um, They led to a television show and an editing bay. And, you know, you are at their mercy. So we didn't really appreciate that at the time. I think now you can watch 30 seasons, know exactly what you're your, your positioning should be when you're doing your interviews. When do I look the best? I should have my hair back this way. If I suck in and breathe, my abs look really good from this side <laughs> over here. And that is, that's all over the place. Um, and what the biggest thing that's changed, so Jervis goes back on you know, five years ago, and we talked for hours before he went out there. And we talked about the opportunities that came at us out of the show during the first time and the opportunities that are around now. And there are none, there's just no opportunities at the time you would do the show, you know, Jerry Manthe had talked about the guy did the show because I was a struggling actress and I knew I was going to get a shot at a role of some sort. Um, now you come off the show and there's not there's zero. So when you go do the show now, you better have the mindset. This is about a million dollars. This is about a competition this is not about my launching pad for my career you know elizabeth hasselback was very fortunate there are people once in a while that get pulled out of these groups but once every few years um, it almost works against you so there's the the changes between then and now it's it's not even it's not the same culture in hollywood the the genre itself um is more of a threat than what it was it was a threat for us because for a year there was just 16 of us that were getting parts and shows and that type of thing and people were upset they didn't see that you know it'd be five six hundred people a few years later that they're dealing with so um gosh everything has changed the million dollars is still the same i thought they would have cranked that up to maybe two by now right but you know maybe <laughs> maybe mark could crack the piggy bank over a little bit right but uh, that's probably not gonna happen
0: uh, you mentioned Jervis Peterson, who came back after right. so many years right. uh, from being an original cast member to then playing in the more modern Survivor, because
1: it certainly has been a right. game that's evolved. Yes. Did you ever go back? They would never. Mark and I, you know, we, I, when, I, when I went into casting, I ran into a, a PA in my very first casting call. And I was able to schmooze him, and he told me exactly what they were looking for, and I played that to do the show. Am I the kind of guy that likes to be the center of attention or dance on the table or even be in any way pliable for the production? No. You know, they wouldn't have me back. I'm not interesting enough. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to comply. But you're an OG. Uh, I am an OG. But it's, it's it, you know, you and... There was a lawsuit. I mean, the biggest thing, I mean, there was all sorts of, you know, different things, you know, with the, that are, with our first cast was Stacy Stillman filed something. And I don't know if you remember, there's a, whole, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's all Richard real. didn't pay his taxes. Yeah. Well, Richard, right. You know, there was all sorts of things. So would I do it again if they called? Absolutely. It's, it is the hardest, it is absolutely the hardest thing you can do to win that show. You need luck, opportunity, um, fortitude. You can't lose focus ever. You've got the most, you know, it's like sitting out there with a team of jackals <laughs> and there's one rabbit to eat. And That sounds
0: vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, that's,
1: that's, Is that it, exactly how Sue put it? Says, that's Sue, right. I mean, she ex, ex, explained it. It's you get, you, they cast these vicious people and, and we are. I mean, when it's, I mean, we're nice. I mean, I wouldn't say we, we. Everybody's as different as you can imagine. I mean, you're out there with every kind of person you could imagine, and then they put you out there with people that are specifically made to grade against you and for you to grade against them. And you're playing for a million dollars, and you haven't slept, swept, and slept, and you're hungry, and you're doing these things. So it, it's very difficult. It's super challenging. Um, you know, gosh, there's so many things I do differently. When I played the first time, I was just—I was an idiot. I was a 27-year-old moron that that had fun and did appreciate you know, what was going on, but didn't look at it properly. So Jervis going back now, I mean, you know, it was... It, the funny thing was, and Michael Scoop and, and I had talked about it as well, in the first few years, a lot of us were dynamic people. We would have multifacets to our personality. And now the casting has come down to this guy is this, and this guy is this, and this guy is this. So when Jervis and Mike both said the same thing when they're out there playing against the guys now, and no offense, but they're going to take an offense, he says it's like playing poker with people that got their cards face up, and they're all sitting there with their cards face up on the table, and they're trying to bluff you. you. Know who they are? Yeah, and and, and and they think they're kidding you, but they're not kidding you. So, but it's going to be very difficult for any of those very first season people to win the show because there is a oh, you think you're so cool because you're on the first one, which we don't. You know, we just have been through it. So when we kind of when a new kid comes in and you talk to him, you're like, well, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably don't want to do that either, dude, you know, because there's no instruction book. Mm. There's no, even if you went to, you know, USC film, you're not going to come out of that and know what to do with your opportunity. Or even at the time when you're actually on the island and there's a competition, maybe if you got a you know, in game theory, you know, and and then you were able to have some luck on top of that. Um, but it's, it's, uh, but, you know, that being said, you know, Richard winning, I mean, Richard was a super brilliant guy. Um, you know, other people, when, when you meet the people, I don't know if you've met any of the people that have won the show.
0: I don't believe I have. I don't think I have. When
1: you sit down and you talk with a winner, the person that actually won the show nine times out of 10, you're like, Oh, I get it. I understand why this guy won. Mm -hmm. I was thinking I was going to talk to something else. And then this guy showed up and I'm like, Oh, I understand now. Did you think you were going to win when you were out there? No, I, I was the only, I was the only person in casting that said I wasn't, because they asked us that in casting and we're sitting in a suite in Los Angeles and there's all these executives in this room and the guy says, well, how are you going to do? Ben Min asked me that. And I said, I said, I probably get halfway and they're all shocked. And they said, I'm a, you're the only person that said you didn't win. I said, why would you only get, a, I said, cause that's when I'd get rid of me. I wouldn't let me around any longer than that. And then in our first season before they merged, so they merged the tribes and then it's, it goes from a team competition, really, it's against everybody, against everybody. Mm-hmm. And in our first season, they announced, "Hey, tomorrow we're going to do that." And I said, "You guys just killed me." I said, I, "There's no way I would ever let me come back from this," because Dirk was gone, who was a tremendous athlete. Um, you know, Jervis was around, but he really was a non-factor because he was—it was so he couldn't swim. I don't think he's ever been out of the city. This was so out of his element. Um, so I was like, I, I'm, "There's no way I'm coming back." So I, I did not. I knew going in, I really didn't have much of a chance because I wouldn't, that's how I looked at it. I, w- I would never let me go very far into it.
0: In that same vein, purely hypothetical, mm-hmm. if you dropped the same 16 people into season 35, do you
1: think Richard Hatch would win again? No, I would win. Oh, you would win. I, I, I Without a doubt. I had, you know, Richard, Richard was, Richard and I had the same idea. We got to team these people up. Richard went a step farther in that first season where he was super cold-blooded, and he picked the three weakest people that he could pit find and teamed up with them because he knew it was about numbers. I was from a team sport kind of guy, let's bring our whole team through. Going back, doing it over again, no, I'd pick Jervis, Ramona, um, you know, maybe Bebe because he was a businessman who was horrible to deal with. Everybody couldn't stand him, and take him with me. And get rid of, you know, Gretchen, Colleen, Greg. I mean, you're gone. Quietly. Mm. Just real quiet. Do that. And it would be a different situation. I had a mindset of a basketball team or a football team. That's that's the mindset I had. Like, hey, let's bring our crew through. You know, doing it over. You know, Richard was just ruthless. Ruthless. That dude is, whew. I mean, he is. And, and dealing with him for 17 years now <laughs> and other things after that. He's brilliant. He's ruthless, and he will screw you over just for the sake of picking up a penny. I mean, that is Richard. And they knew that going in. I mean, he was a gay guy in West Point before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm. I mean, he was brilliant. But as you can see with his problems afterwards, too smart for his own good as well.
0: Perhaps. Yeah. Um, 17 years since, uh, How you mentioned Jervis. You mentioned dealing with Richard Hatch for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Your other castmates, do you still at
1: least keep in touch with them? Christmas cards, maybe? Oh, yeah, we talk all the time. I mean, uh, Facebook has opened a lot of that up uh, for a long time. We did kind of lose touch with people, but now we're all, a lot of us are in contact. And, and it's weird because there is a fraternity of survivor people, of once you go on, it's almost like this family that's been growing and growing and growing. Um, and, the, you know, I I hadn't gone to any of these – they have these reunion events all over the place, and I didn't go to them for a long time, and then I went a couple of years. So I think I'm good for a while now <laughs> um, because I am, you know, I am, as you say, the OG, but I am the old guy now compared to when you're young and having fun.
0: I guess that's what the new OG – the, yeah, the old other guy. OG. Yeah, yeah. Old that guy or, or original, OG, right? original gangster.
1: It's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm on that fence right now. <laughs> um, but we do get along – you know, Mitchell and I – really you know get along very well and and there's just certain like chris doherty ethan is a fabulous guy i mean these are people that you just uh, become friends with through the years and it's because especially in the first few years when the show was really massively popular there was just a little group of us that went through something that it was really hard to explain um and then when you're in hollywood And going through that and you're dealing and it was just so kind of a weird thing that was going on. So we did have a bond. I mean, Jervis and I, we probably spent, you know, 90 percent of our time together for the first few years um, in Los Angeles, in New York, going to events, different things like that. Um, And, you know, Dirk and I did a horrible movie together. Um, (laughs) And and, but, you know, it, it opened doors into that. You know, we have a movie that is coming out on October 3rd. Uh, a documentary called Made in venice um, that we did and, and, and it opened up those things and and you know and you know it's 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 really hard to explain you know going through that with with those people because would we be put together no would Jervis and i ever be in the same circles and hanging out together no dirk and i you know the the guy is as religious as he gets and he's just you know and i'm out drinking and partying you know he would drink and party with us Mm -hmm. But he wouldn't actually drink. Okay. You know, he would just party. Okay. But, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's, and again, this is a different time in life, you know, compared to now. Has your fiance seen your season? I have never watched it with her. No. I mean, I have a hard time watching it. I would imagine the Atlanta Falcons are not going to go back and watch last year's Super Bowl a whole lot. You know, when you have an opportunity and you lose, I, I, I just don't want to see that. It's very difficult to watch. Um, because what if she you,
0: wanted to see it what if she said i just i just want to see you as she a does year
1: old. she does want to see it and i have a nine-year-old son and he wants to watch it together as well and i'm like you know you guys can watch that on yourself sometimes and then I'll, I'll i'll stop in when you're done it's um you know there were some good moments but also the editing is is you know if you watch the show compared to what actually that's the biggest thing about the shows you have absolutely no idea what actually happened in the show you have no idea what was actually said. You don't know if the person rolling their eyes is rolling their eyes to that comment or something two or three days earlier. Um, so that's the toughest thing. And I try to remind myself of that whenever I watch any of these reality shows of any sort, that what you're seeing and what happened are two different things. Now, they're not completely making something up, but they are really close. Um, and they absolutely do massage who they want to do what. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, as as much control as they have right now on the show, you know, with ours, we we're really hard to control. But now they can absolutely massage it to whomever they wish, you know, whatever feel good story they want. And pretty darn close to, you know, the outcome that they wish. Um, but, you know, it's something that what actually happens versus what you see, you know, no, I, I'm not so proud of that.
0: Final thing for you. How has your experience on Survivor changed you? Jeez. Oh, See, that's why I put it last.
1: Wow. I mean, <laughs> how has it changed me? I mean, it's I, I get I have goosebumps from that. My life before, I was fine before. I was happy before. Um, gosh, it, it is as monumental and life changing thing that happened to me as there could have been. Uh, it was an absolute death of my previous life instantly. And now everything that you've done and everything you're going to do is going to take a backseat to, hey, weren't you on Survivor? And because it was very popular, and that's fine. I mean, it could be it could be worse. You know, it could be you're Jeffrey Dahmer's brother. You know, that's... But it is as life-changing as it gets. Tremendous opportunities. The, the opportunities that came out of it were you know impossible to recreate um and you know or prepare for and and but also there were some bad things that came out of it as well you know wrecked relationships um fame is not a pretty thing you know you deal with a lot of athletes and you see especially probably early on you know that rookie sophomore year uh, after you get your you know notoriety you act a fool and you know, there's there's really no decent guidelines. So, gosh, it's as life-changing as a situation possibly could have been. Joel, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much for coming out, man. Great to meet you.
0: Hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. It's a good starting point because... It's in the infancy stages, but one of my co-workers at iHeartMedia Milwaukee, uh, Spencer Williams, one of our producers, huge Survivor fan as well. We've talked about doing a podcast. This week is a little bit busy because of some obvious things going on in the sports world with the Ryder Cup that's going on at Whistling Straits. Uh, the Badgers are playing on Saturday in Chicago against Notre Dame. That's something that's going on. The Brewers season, uh, if they can right the uh, wrongs of what's been going on with their bats lately. Uh, They just lost their fourth game in a row to the St. Louis Cardinals, but they've got the New York Mets coming in. As I tape this, their magic number is still at three. So there's been a lot of things that have been going on, and Survivor kind of snuck up, at least on me. I don't know if it snuck up on Spencer at all. But uh, we're going to plan on, at some point sit down and start doing a weekly podcast Uh, if he's still into it. I still want to do it. Bring on some maybe uh, Survivor fans and former players as well over the course of the season. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and I hope you guys get something out of it as well. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Again, hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're not a Survivor fan, hey, it's not a problem. No points off. You can skip these if you'd like. But if you are a Survivor fan, and I know that it's one of those shows that the audience doesn't necessarily grow, but it also doesn't go anywhere. There's a reason that it's been on now for 21 years, and it's because if you're a Survivor fan, you just keep watching it, and you're very loyal to the show as well. It's not an accident. People can bemoan, oh, I don't know anybody who watches Survivor anymore. Well, you do. And there's a reason that 21 years later, this show is still going strong in one of television's primetime slots on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So that's me getting on and now off of my soapbox. That'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We will talk to you next time. Have a good one.